a pulse, examining the heartbeat of Mount San Antonio College, its surrounding areas, and all of Southern California. Hello, and welcome to the first edition of The Pulse. I'm your producer, KT Fort. As a 55-year-old college student, I don't feel the same types of anxiety as some of my peers in school, and this lockdown isn't helping at all. One of our hosts, Bridget Lugo, had a Zoom call with three students from the journalism department, giving them a chance to share their thoughts and anxieties. With the campus closed due to the coronavirus, it's been quite a challenge to complete this episode. But along with our phenomenal team of students, and our staff advisors, I'm proud to present the first episode of The Pulse. Enjoy. My name is Bridget Lugo, and I am SAC Sidelines Editor and Somos Editor, and I am here with three journalism students who will be moving on in their journalistic and school careers and are in limbo. Natalie, we'll start with you. Hi, so my name is Natalie, but it looks like that I will be going to UC Berkeley in the fall. And we also have Natalie Rojas here. Hi, my name is Natalie Rojas. I have accepted my transfer to Cal State Long Beach in the fall. And lastly, Alex. Hi guys, my name is Alex, and I'm leaning more towards UC San Diego at the moment for the fall. Alex, let's start with you. In the beginning, when Mount Sac closed down, I think that's when I realized how serious the situation really was. Colleges were going to proceed, letting you know, hey, you got in, uh, but a lot of them just sent emails. As far as San Diego, they've been doing a really good job of having virtual tours and like virtual workshops for transfer students. Like I'm going to one next week. Natalie uh, Rojas, I think the most controversial of all of your schools of choice is Long Beach because allegedly they will be opening as scheduled in the fall. Yes, I found out that we're going to be going in person in the fall. So they haven't really told their student body yet, which I think is a little bit irritating because it's like I'm putting myself in that danger. Am I gonna be able to like perform in these classes when I'm like so distracted in my head of just being like infested like with these germs? And then at that point, like I think it's better for me to just stay home and fight off being lazy than fight off like trying to get sick. To elaborate a little bit, you're saying that you personally on your portal or through email have not received any notification about Long Beach returning or about any plans that they have to keep their students safe? No, I, I haven't received an email or anything. Let's go to our editor-in-chief, Natalie Liu. Congratulations on getting accepted to Berkeley. Tell me a little bit more about how you feel personally. Getting the acceptance from UC Berkeley, I remember I actually kind of, I squealed and then ran, ran downstairs to tell my parents, but it didn't fully hit me then that I likely wouldn't even be on campus. And that's what kind of sucks the most. I wanted to choose UC Berkeley because I would be in a completely new area. I would be away from home. And if it all stays online in the fall, I'm not going to get that opportunity. Yeah, I can imagine. And even during this time where you're trying to balance everything and keep some sort of norm going on within your own world, that is, can you guys tell us a little bit about how you are coping as students going fully online? Natalie uh, Rojas, let's start with you. I'm on my phone constantly. So what I've been trying to like do now, I'll look up YouTube videos on like how to write a better story in the narrative. I'm going to be on my phone, but at least I'm going to be doing something that's going to benefit me. So I've just kind of been doing that. And I've started to read a lot, just taking the time to 
do better stuff than just drowning myself on like social media. Also, I'll dedicate like time during the day that I'm just going to focus on like schoolwork. I'm not sure if like you guys feel this, but having a even like a fun distraction, like I'm learning a dance by Lady Gaga. How about you, Alex? As far as coping day to day, some days are better than others. I'm going to be honest. It sucks because a lot of my appointments have transitioned over the phone. My doctor's appointments, my therapy appointments, instead of being able to talk to the people that I want to talk to in person, it's definitely created a barrier. So I do a lot of sleeping um, recently to keep myself occupied. I bleached my hair <laughs> because I had nothing else to do. And I was like, I figure if it ends up bad, no one's going to see me for a couple of weeks, maybe months. Actually, if I'll be honest, I haven't been coping that well because I actually got sick. And I was like, maybe I have COVID-19. I freaked the living crap out of my mom and she wouldn't let me out of the house for that week. And I also like, I was like, of course I can't go out. I can't go to school. I'm going to freak everybody out. But overall, I've just been, I wouldn't say a mess, but I just don't know what to do to cope. Alex, I see that you have your hand raised. I noticed a lot of my friends when we transitioned to online learning, they were so tired. And like, these are girls who can go all day. And they're like, I don't know why I'm so tired. I learned that it's because we're basically all kind of in like a, a subtle form of culture shock because we're all kind of acclimating to this new learning environment. And I've, I personally have never taken online courses just because I've always been nervous. You know, we're all, our brains every day are kind of like, okay, we have to adjust. It's everything now. It's not just online learning. It's, I can't really go outside. I have to, don't forget your mask. And don't, you know what I mean? It's, it's just your brain is constantly readjusting. So I just want to let everybody out there, if you're tired, don't feel bad. <laughs> just take a nap. Yeah, it's a lot more to deal with, a lot more to check off, and it can be overwhelming. It's de tapping definitely does help because, you know, when you're getting anxiety and you're getting really stressed, just block it all out, just black out. <laughs> with, you know, going to community college and it having sometimes like a negative, you know, connotation, what would each of you say to anyone who was thinking about possibly attending a community college before going straight into the four-year. What has the community college experience meant to you? When I graduated high school in 2017, I never planned going to a JC. My plan was to go straight to a four-year, get it done, and keep going. But looking back now, I'm 21. It's going to sound crazy, but it really is a blessing. I was not ready to go to college when I was 18. Looking back, deep down, I don't think I would have excelled as much if I hadn't had the experience that Mount SAC gave me. Mount SAC has given me so much confidence because I, I now feel capable of being in, in a four-year environment and not feeling lost. Definitely go to a JC if you can. How about you, Natalie Rojas? It kind of felt like that war between like the Android and the iPhone and iPhone being like four-year like universities and then the android just being like the jc it's kind of like oh there's a war between the iphone and the android but they're both phones and they're both gonna work natalie lou how about you uh, i definitely am glad that i got the chance to like experiment and like find where i'm meant to be without having to pay like so much tuition it was very cost effective and now that i'm going to university i won't have to pay like four full years I definitely felt really ashamed, but uh, I knew that I had to because my grades in high school just weren't that great, and I kind of needed like a second chance. Now that I've like had the experience to you know be a president of a club, be the editor in chief, 
have all this experience in like investigative journalism, I'm really, really glad that I got the chance to improve myself before I move on to a four-year. Before we go, first of all, I'd really like to say that I appreciate each and every one of you for hopping on this meeting. I know it's not the conventional face-to-face, but we're all adapting with the times. So I really appreciate you guys being on this podcast. I know that every day either goes up, goes off super fast or it goes, drags along super slow. Like there's no in between. Looking down, you know, in the fall, which is not that far when we think about it, what words of advice would you have for yourself? I would probably tell myself, look, I know it sounds really hard to be the editor-in-chief in the middle of a literal pandemic and you're going to be out of the newsroom, but it's definitely going to be worth it because you're actually going to put out like the best work you've ever done. I love that. Go ahead, Alex. My mom always tells me to take it a day at a time. I have it everywhere. It's, it's in a sticky note in my room. It's, you know, in my journal. So I would just tell myself to take it a day at a time. That's it. Yeah. Just to take it a day at a time. And Natalie Roja? I would tell myself that you have to go through the struggle of everything in order to enjoy the outcome. Because, you know, it's going to feel so much better. Like, I went through all of this, I did this, but I still persevered, and I did it, and I'm here. And now it feels like, it feels like so good. I appreciate every single one of you sharing, you know, a little bit about this COVID life right now as a transfer student. Um, I want to thank Natalie Rojas, Natalie Liu, and Alex Muniz. My name is Bridget Lugo. Thank you so much. The Pulse on K-Pop. Here's Fairy Bailon. No one can deny the fact that K-pop is a global phenomenon, and despite all its flaws and imperfections, it continues to grow enormously over the last few years. Hi, my name is Natalie. My name is Dean. I have several reasons why I love K-pop. Dissecting the good, the bad, and the ugly of Korean pop music and entertainment, which has since taken the world by storm, is no easy feat. When I first got into K-pop in middle school, it was mostly because I thought the songs were catchy and the people were, well, pretty. So, what exactly is K-pop? K-pop is a musical genre consisting of a culmination of hip-hop, electronic, R&B, pop, and rock music originating in South Korea. To start, some of my favorite K-pop groups right now are Ace, NCT, EXO, and TWICE. And some of the groups I love listening to are Twice, Big Bang, Girls' Generation, Day Six, Blackpink, and Mamamoo, just to name a few. Uh, Monster X and Shiny, which are all boy groups. And then slowly but surely we all found out, oh, we love, you know, a girl group called Mamamoo, or Girls' Generation, or 21. In addition to music, K-pop has grown into a popular subculture among teenagers and young adults throughout Asia, as well as other parts of the world, like Europe and the United States resulting in a widespread popularity and interest in South Korean fashion and style of idol groups and singers. I think Suga from BTS said it the best when he said that K-pop is more of a combination of visual audio artistry, which I agree because other than the music and dance, you have to take account of the clothes, the makeup, and they're all uh, put together as one package, which differentiates themselves in the music market. The aesthetic. I I love the music videos, the sets, the the photo shoots that you know they post on you know behind the scenes on YouTube. 
With K-pop, everything is an entire package. You have the songs, but you also have the choreography, the concepts, the outfits, and a lot more. It's not just a song you listen to on the radio. Thanks to the internet, especially YouTube, K-pop has gained acclaim and an enormous fan following from people across the globe and still continues to rise in popularity on the global music stage. If you ever find yourself, you know, wondering why people love it, also look at the albums. Packaging on albums is ridiculous in a good way. You just need to watch an unboxing video and the amount of stuff you get in K-pop albums, photo cards of members, and there's tradings. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. All in all, I just really like K-pop for the tunes it produces and the effort that goes into the promotions. It's pretty different than what comes out of Western music. Music does not require an understanding of the language that it speaks. Music is said to be a universal language for all. It can be used to communicate across cultural and linguistic boundaries without having to understand the language of the place where it originates. When I, trend, when I would look up translations of the songs, some of the meanings behind some of the songs were just, they're captivating. They, connect, they had a connection to me. Hence, the ability to understand or speak Korean is not prerequisite for listening to K-pop, which is evidenced by the numerous fans it has around the world. Next, Bridget Luego and Lorena Peterson sit down with Shannon Carter to explore the Basque community of Chino, California. Today we are going to be talking about the Basque community. My name's Lorena. And I'm Bridget. And we have a special guest today, Shannon. Hi, everyone. So what what, what got you interested in the Basque community? Well, actually... Is it, it Basque was a... or Basque? Sorry. Basque. Basque, Basque community. community. See, I say yeah. it wrong every time. It was um, actually our journalism department that started this project. We were pitching ideas on... Uh, local stories that we could feature. And one of the students came up with this idea about this obscure, not well-known community that is out in Chino and uh, thought it would be an interesting story to kind of feature. So we split up into about three different, three to four different groups. And from there, one group took uh, the religious aspect. The other one took the more of the uh, social hangout aspect. And, and then another take? group took food. The, the best group, I yes. think. <laughs> I would have volunteered for that one. For Absolutely. Sure. It was the best, yes. Now, there's currently in Chino, but where are they uh, originally from? Originally from, uh, it's the border of the hills and, and mountains, forest area of France and Spain. So they actually don't have a country to call their own. They've just kind of made their own community in this uh, valley-like area off of uh, the border of those countries. And they have their own language, I'm assuming? They do. They do have their own language. It actually dates back thousands of years. The technical term for it is called Euskara, and it's been very... I wonder how they say it. Right? (laughs) Uh, It's uh, been hard for linguistics to actually figure out because it dates back to prehistoric times. Some of the words derive back to caveman language and whatnot. It's very, the grammar is different, very unlike uh, Spanish or even uh, French. Wow. Um, so how long have they been over in Chino then? Uh, virtually, uh, they've been in Chino for about seven decades or so. Most of the Basque immigrants migrated over here during the Spanish colonial period and then started moving more towards the west during the whole gold rush. When everyone decided to come to the West Coast. Exactly. That's when it was when officially was declared the best coast. So if you're smart, <laughs> and apparently they, you know, they've, they've survived and they've lasted and 
Absolutely. That's, that's a really cool fact. I didn't when when the story was presented to us, I was like, what did this have to do with our community and around us? But little do we know how many different races and cultures are around us right. and mixed in our everyday lives. Absolutely. And so they settled down in Chino, uh, mainly because even up until a few decades ago, there wasn't many houses over there. And so it was a lot of green pasture for dairy farming and, and shepherd. And so they kind of just picked up where they left off back in their their old country. So they were like like a herding kind of people. Exactly. Let's get to the food part. Mm-hmm. So I love the history. Mm-hmm. But also we know that food commonly gives you an insight into the culture wherever it is that you go. But specifically for the Basque community, what did you see with some of their featured dishes? And right. tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, one of the um, local restaurants is called Centro Basco. That's over in Chino. They actually specialize in Basque uh, cuisine. And they will have a variety of foods um, such as uh, salted cod, lamb as well, lamb stew. Depending on the special of the week, uh, it may be rabbit or blood sausage. But a lot of it has to do with the grains and spices and how they prepare it, which allows it to have that distinguishable taste. To yeah. It. Yeah. Well, if, they, if they're that far rooted back in history, I can just imagine what their flavors are mm-hmm. like. Because you... You know, your food comes just as far back as you do. Right. How, how you learn to cook, the food that you're able to cook because of the animals that are around you. Right. Util- utilizing what's in your environment. Exactly. I feel and I feel like food. I want to taste that. Right. <laughs> I want to taste that. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So are they open for anyone to go? They are open um, seven days a week. You can check them out on their website. You can Google that. And um, on Sundays, they actually do more of a traditional Bass dining experience. It's in their dining hall. Uh, there's long tables that are laid out. You can sit across somebody that you've never met before, eat a multiple course meals with cheeses, soups, whatever their special is as well. And all you can drink wine as well. You know, their house wine, they'll pass that out I like for to call free. That bottomless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. bottomless wine. Yeah. I was going to ask, what was your biggest takeaway? Biggest takeaway is how deep and rich their culture is. Many of the, the Basque individuals, they want to continue to nurture that culture and also teach it down to the further generations, uh, the future generations as well, to say, you know, this is where we came from. This is a part of our history, um, whether it's something from the religion, uh, culture, or even dance as well. That's still very important within their culture. And and how um, close-knit of a community they are. Speaking about culture, I heard that the Basque had their own version of music, their whole style form, their language incorporated into it. The, the video that I watched for it, specifically, the whole background was just them singing and how important it was. Yes. Music for them dates back to 19th, 20th century. It kind of has the spiritual power, and dance is incorporated with that. So Uh, They use music and dance to pretty much celebrate any aspect of the culture, whether it's something religious, uh, whether it's festive. They even use dance and music to greet people or to thank people as well. So it's it's very unique. It's very lively. And it shows their their passion as a culture. Yeah. And also keeping music like that, I feel like that keeps the language alive even longer because music gets ingrained into your soul. Right. You're going to sing those same songs until until your kids sing it to you when you're going off the edge, right? Right. right. Can it we listen to it for it. a minute? Let's let's listen to a little clip.
So that's awesome. I love that. When it comes to generational, is there a divide between the youth that you met and the older generation of the Basque community when you went that day? What did you learn? I didn't see much of a divide. It was more of, you know, their grandparents, of course, came over to this country. And so they have a different experience than the kids nowadays. But you could see that the younger generation respects the culture in general. And more of their way to connect to it is to participate in the uh, social or performance of of Basque dance or um, going to a place like Centro Basco and uh, sitting around family style. So I think there's a certain honor and respect that they do have. I didn't see much of a divide. The The older generation is definitely trying to preserve that within their their younger generations as time goes on. That's awesome to hear because I know within my own culture, there is sometimes we lose the language and we're third generation and right. we don't know how to say something <laughs> in Spanish, et cetera. So that's really cool to hear and yeah. to learn about this culture. I had no idea existed. Yeah, I didn't know backyard. about it. <laughs> I had mm-hmm. no idea. So this is really cool. And it's something I definitely want to go check out over in Chino. That's just over the hill. Absolutely. Not that far away. And I love me some good lamb, too. <laughs> some good wine. <laughs> Don't forget the wine. wine. Don't forget <laughs> the wine. Yeah, so you guys go check it out. Thank you, Shannon, for you. coming in today and talking with us. And it's always good to have Bridget here, too. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> Appreciate it. We sent our reporters all over campus in Southern California to find out what you're listening to. And here's... The soundtrack to my Pursuit of Happiness by Kid Cudi. Definitely. You already know. I'm on the pursuit of happiness. Um, I pick It Will Stay by Bad Bunny. Baby, la vida un ciclo. Lo que no sirve, ya no lo reciclo. Loving is easy by Rex Orange County. So loving is easy. It used to be so hard. I would choose this um, Seven Nation Army. Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. Um, the song I would pick is Yesterday by the Beatles. I like it because of the tune. The compilation of Hannah Montana transition music on YouTube. Can you show us how it goes? Yeah, it goes <laughs> like... Song I would pick is the Touch by Sam Bush. You got the touch. You got the power. It would be life changes by Casey Don't record it. New I'm driving yo. I probably couldn't afford. Pretty much should be on the way by Oswego. Really swinging out the rules like a native would do. What I'm thinking. I... This semester has been full of obstacles, frustration, and sadness. Jordan Puente reports in this interview with Robert Longtree, a former player of John Antebelli, and a tribute to Kobe Bryant. On January 20th, nine lives were lost in a helicopter crash. Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, along with John, Carrie, and Alyssa Antebelli, lost their lives. John had one son, JJ, and two daughters, Alyssa and Alexis. John coached the OCC for 27 seasons with numerous state titles and a winning record above 500. All that is nice, but I wanted to dig deeper on who Coach Alto was. So I was able to sit down and talk to Robert Laundrie. Robert played for Coach Alto for two seasons. 
I was actually at work. Early in the morning, my, my younger sister actually texted me and was like, I got a, I got a text from a guy that actually goes to OCC. One of the coaches was on the plane I, or on the helicopter. And I was just like, which coach? Give me an article. Like I wanted proof. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't believe it. So I also hit up one of my other buddies. He's actually playing for the A's right now. I hit him up on Instagram and I was like, so did you, is the thing about Alto true? Like, was he on the helicopter? He texted me back and he was like, yes. Him, his wife, and daughter Alyssa. Did you know Alyssa? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, fourteen, dude. Happiest kid I've ever seen. It's tough. What is one memory that will always stick with you to the end of time? Oh man, it's probably my exit interview. He brings he brings one player at a time. Talks from how their season went, all that. Like, what's the next level? So I come in. And once again, always welcoming, always has a smile on his face. It's just like telling me about how I, how I did in the season. But the thing that kind of pointed out to me the most was we took our team picture and with our, our trophies and everything. And he pointed to me and I was like smiling in the picture. And he's like, you keep that smile on your face, dude, you can do anything. He was like, he's like that. He's like, that's he's like, that's my favorite part of the picture. And I was just like, that kind of, like, it kind of sunk in a little bit. Cause here's this guy just coaching Juco baseball, but so successful, so happy about it, so happy what he does. And he's kind of influencing what, a 19 year old me? That's pretty amazing. The Pulse, a tribute to Kobe Bryant. When you think of Kobe Bryant, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, I think of the uh, drive for excellence. Kobe baseline, jumper, yes! Bryant. Greatness. First thing I think of when I think of Kobe is him being an assassin. The way he carried himself, pushed himself to higher limits than people even thought were possible. Kobe around him. Kobe down the middle. First thing that comes to mind when it comes to Kobe is just that mama mentality. You know, you want to attack that mentality in all aspects of life, whether it be on the court or off the court. Bryant dribbling, has to put it up for the buzzer, makes it in, ha-ha, he makes it the three! He is an assassin, a role model, an innovator, you know. I remember when I was a kid growing up in school, yelling his name all the time, throwing paper in the trash. How do you get it for the win? This episode of The Pulse was hosted by Lorena Peterson, Bridget Lugo, and KT Fort. It was written by Jordan Puente, Ferry Bilan, and KT Fort. Produced by KT Fort with executive producers and staff advisors Jason Schiff and Tony Albertson. The Pulse has been a joint production of 90.1 FM KSAC and SAC Media. The views and opinions expressed on this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of KSAC-FM, SAC Media, and or Mount San Antonio College.